My name is Dr. Chris Jenkins, and I am the CEO of the Orient Society and the host of the Snake Talk podcast, the podcast where you learn about nature's most feared, maligned, and persecuted animals. I invite you to listen to this conversation, and maybe you'll find that what you perceive as fear is actually rooted in a deep fascination. Welcome to the Snake Talk Podcast. We have a great episode for you today. I interviewed Parker Gibbons about some of his adventures out field herping, doing research on turtles and snakes, uh, doing education outreach to, to children's groups. Just a, a great story. But one of the, the really interesting things that came out of that interview was really the story of a family legacy, specifically that his grandfather, Whit Gibbons, was such an influential person in bringing him to where he was today. And so at that point, I decided that I needed to go out and actually interview his grandfather, interview Whit. So in this episode, you are going to hear the story of one of the greatest legacies in the snake world, and you're going to hear it from both perspectives. You're going to hear it from Parker, the grandson, and also from Wit, his grandfather. I hope you enjoy. Welcome to the Snake Talk Podcast. I am sitting here today with Parker Gibbons, and uh, I'm pretty excited about this one for a number of reasons. Uh, the first thing I'd say, and I don't think Parker knows this, and I'm not 100% sure that it's accurate, but I believe that I met him when he was a young child at his grandfather's house. Uh, at least I was at his grandfather's house and, uh, and some of the uh, grandchildren were there, or young kids were there. So I'm assuming we've actually met when you were quite little over 10 years ago. And, uh, and the, other, the other thing I'm really excited about is that, that Parker uh, spends a great deal of time following in the footsteps of his grandfather, who, who we'll talk about, and is very interested in some of the uh, same things and is kind of taking some of his own uh, directions or own angles on it, if you will. Um, he's quite an active field herper and he's starting to get into other aspects of studying reptiles and amphibians and education outreach. So we're, uh, we're going to talk about all of that today. So uh, welcome to the podcast, Parker. Thank you, Chris. I'm, I'm excited. Yeah, it's, it's good to have you here. So First of all, let's, I mean, we, we should talk a little bit about kind of the legacy of your family in, in a sense. And, and uh, it, it's kind of a, uh, it's an interesting story and, and I'll kind of tell my perspective and then I'd love to hear uh, you kind of tell us about, um, about it and, and how it, it turned you into to who you are and the interests you have today. And so... Uh, you know, what I would say is that Parker's grandfather is a herpetologist named Whit Gibbons, who 
I've known for many years now. I, I did my graduate work with a very close colleague of Wits who was kind of in the same cohort, the same age professors. And, uh, you know, Wit basically ran the Savannah River Ecology Lab, the herpetology portions of it, and did an incredible amount of research on the Savannah River site in South Carolina. And if you think about kind of like herpetological uh, meccas. And, and as I was coming up, for example, going into graduate school, and if you were looking for those places in the world that were the centers of excellence for herpetology, for research, for education outreach, uh, certainly the program that WIT was, uh, was running was one of those. And so, Parker, you grew up... Um, with that as kind of a legacy. And so I guess my first question for you is, where are you today? Like, who are you? And, and what do you do for a living? Are you a student? Do you have a job? Where do you live? Those types of things. All right. Well, I live with my parents. I just graduated high school. Um, I'm taking a gap year to get some job experience. I'm interning with Amphibian and Reptile Conservancy, doing field work out there, looking for diamondback rattlesnakes, southern hognose snakes, pine snakes. And then I'm volunteering on Dewey's Island on the sea turtle team out there. And I woke up at 5.30 this morning to go walk the beach. Uh, and then I got poured on. Um, <laughs> See any sea turtles? I didn't this morning. I, I haven't seen one yet. We're, uh, this year, we've only gotten four nests on the island, so not too many. But if you go about 30 minutes north to a, a different place, they get about 15 a day. So, wow. Huh. Well, that's great. Well, hopefully you'll be, you'll be seeing some soon. So, um, so you just have finished high school, and that's another uh, important point. We have wanted to get some, you know, a, a couple younger guests on here to give us a slightly different perspective. So um, I'm glad you're here to kind of fit that bill as well. Um, and so, so you're obviously you're taking this gap year and you, you're largely focusing your gap year, it sounds like, on getting experience and you're working with reptiles and amphibians uh i'm assuming kind of in the in the you mentioned sea turtles first of all so on the coast but then also probably in francis marion national forest area and in those those general vicinities yeah i'd, I'd love to explore more areas get, get experience in different habitats different animals but for now i'm just sticking around locally so yeah well, you've got to start somewhere, right? And and so it's good you're getting some experience. So your your grandfather, Wit, obviously, I'm assuming you, you know, growing up, you spent a fair amount of time around him. So how do you think him and his legacy and career, um, how, how did that impact you in terms of your current interests? Growing up, I only lived about five minutes from my grandpa's house. And so we were at his house like every day. And he would come home from the, the lab and he would always have some kind of snake or some kind of animal to, that he brought home to show us. Um, when I, I was talking to someone yesterday about the time he brought a crocodile home, just <laughs> growing up, being around those animals just sparked a huge interest in it. And as I got older, he started taking me out in the field, taking me road cruising. And then in... I think 2007, he bought 100 acres of swampland and turned it into a biological preserve since I was like five years old, maybe a little older than that. 
I grew up going out there. We have a bunch of cover boards, lots of salamanders and just getting a lot of field experience there. So, you know, the time that I was in uh, South Carolina at your grandfather's house was very shortly after he had purchased that property. Cause I remember that night uh, there were a number of grad students there from various places, SREL, but you know, myself and some other people from afar. And I remember him talking about having just purchased uh, this property. So, um, and, and so this, this property that you're talking about is uh, I'm assuming it's kind of in the fall line area near Aiken up near Savannah river lab. Is that, um, yeah, it's uh, it's a little more uh, towards the coast. It's in the coastal plain. It's in Orangeburg County. It has a lot of different habitats there. It goes from a big pine hill to a, a hardwood slope, and then it goes down into a creek, and then a big floodplain, and then into a big open field, which my grandpa is uh, restoring to a longleaf habitat. Um, and he just planted a bunch of longleaf trees there. Um, so we have a great deal of different diversity of herbs there. I think we have 53 species there and I'm sure over the next few years we'll document more and more, but. Wow. That, that's amazing. So are you, you mentioned a preserve of some type, it's still in your fam, your family still owns it. It's not that you like say a nonprofit or. Yeah. Yeah. He's just turned it into his own biological preserve so he can go play out in the woods whenever he wants. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds, that sounds perfect. So, um, and, and so do you still, you said you live in Charleston now, so yeah. uh, do, do you still get to see him much these days? Do you yeah. guys meet up on that property or other places? Yeah. Every few weekends we'll meet up. We were actually out there yesterday, spending some time checking traps, helping cover boards. Um, and then, I try and get out to often to spend time with him and my grandma. So, yeah. And how did, did, uh, your parents or maybe, I don't know if you have aunts and uncles, but did, is there, uh, is there a kind of a link there as well? Are your parents into snakes and, and other reptiles or did it kind of skip a generation and really, uh, <laughs> go from, from your grandfather to you? My, my dad loves snakes. Um, he just does it as a hobby. Uh, he didn't really like on the, the scientific side of it as much or the research side, but he loves going and finding snakes and he'll go out with me and uh, me my dad and grandpa go out uh, when we went out to Arizona in 2019. All three of us got our life or Gila monster at the same time. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah, that must have been nice. Three generations uh, with a Gila monster, so... Great. So you mentioned that you're so you're in Charleston, um, and you're you're doing the taking this gap year and working on these different projects. So I'm assuming, like your grandfather, that your goal, your career goal, is to move into uh, doing herpetology or ecology or, or biology of some form uh, in a professional fashion. Is that um, is that where you're where you're planning on heading? Oh yeah, for sure. I, I definitely want to go into herpetology. After my gap year, I'm probably going to go to community college for a couple of years and then transfer to a school to get my degree. I would love to get into herpetology and into the like scientific side of it more. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's great. And you're in a, you're in a great place for it. And uh, like we've been talking about, you kind of have this great, uh, this great uh, herpetological lineage, if you will. Uh, so, uh, we connected, I guess, 
more directly uh, recently over social media. And I enjoy, you know, following, you know, everything that you're posting, but it strikes me that, you know, beyond the concept of, of working with reptiles uh, and snakes as a job that, that you, uh, that it's also a form of recreation for you and that you are uh, very much into, you know, what people call field herping. And we've done uh, previous episodes uh, on field herping and, you know, on various topics, whether it be ethics or talking with uh, particular field herpers like Noah Fields, who you may know. Uh, and so, uh, I guess the first question is, how did you get into field herping? Was that kind of born the same way? It was just going out and looking for, for animals with your family? Yeah, it was uh, just growing up and going out with my grandpa. Um, same thing there. Yeah. And so what does it, what does it mean to you? Like, how do you, like, how, how does it fit into your life? Is it, uh, you know, a, ha- a form of recreation? You know, obviously, you're trying to move this direction with, with a career, but, but what, is, what is field herping to you, and how do you think about it? I, I go herping, like, every single day. It's, like, <laughs> it's, it's basically my life at this point, herping and then fishing. But I, I, I go out as much as I can. If I'll check the weather daily. If it looks good, I'll go out. Some of my friends always message me and like, do you ever sleep? You're always herping. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I do a lot of field herping and I, I like collecting specimens too, like uh, roadkill specimens for uh, jars. I have a, a big jar collection and skulls and stuff like that. So, Oh, okay. And that's an interesting connection. You mentioned the fishing. I've noticed that there are a lot of people that are into both field herping and fishing. I don't know if it's just kind of the groups of animals or some of the icky animals, if you will, and they interest certain people. Uh, so great. Well, do you do, so with field herping, you've already mentioned Arizona, but so do you, how do you kind of structure it? Like, do you spend the majority of your time uh, kind of in the vicinity of Charleston? Um, and, you know, you don't need to give away any secret spots or anything, but but I'm just kind of trying to get a feel for uh, the places you go locally and then how often and, and where you might travel to do field herping. Um, most of the places I'm going are in or around the, the National Forest, the Francis Marion. And I'm fine saying that because it's such a big area. But when I when, when I travel, we we go inland a little ways to where my cabin is, like Orangeburg County. There's some cool areas around there. And then last last December, me and some friends took some took a trip down to the Everglades and went down in the Keys. Spent some time there. Did you end up finding any pythons down there? We did. We did. We we, uh, we found one live one, and then one that was dying. It had just gotten hit by a car. Those things, they're, they're gorgeous, but it's just, it's such a, a bittersweet moment seeing them because it's, it's an awesome snake. Just, they cause so much damage. It, it's yeah. hard to appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I hear you. So, um, and so you've, you said you've gone to the Everglades and then you, it sounds like you recently also made a trip to Arizona. Um, what was that, uh, what was that Arizona trip like? Um, I've taken two trips to Arizona in the last few years. I went in 2019. We went to the Turtle Survival Alliance Conference. We found a lot of cool stuff. We found five Sidewinders, um, a Gila, 
couple tiger rattlesnakes, black tail rattlesnakes. We didn't get any of the like cool montane rattlesnakes, but we got a lot of the more common ones. But for my first trip out there, we we did great. And then my my second trip, I didn't do as good. It was a, it, it was in a kind of wrong time of year. It was late October, and I think we 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 got like two collared lizards, and that was really it. <laughs> Gotcha. And so do you have any, any kind of uh, future field herping trips planned? Anything on the horizon? Uh, nothing specific. There's places I really want to go. And if the opportunity comes up for me to do that, I will absolutely do them. Like, uh, I'd love to go back down to Florida. I want to do uh, Kansas, go look for the milk snakes out there. And then West Texas, of course, go look for the Alterna and Ornatus and yeah, I just got back from West Texas probably oh, really? a week awesome. or two ago. So actually, I was there with Noah Fields. Oh, so, but uh, okay, well, great. So, so you you have this this like you know herpetological legacy that we talked about, and it got you into this activity of field herping, which again is kind of like going out and almost like recreationally looking for reptiles and amphibians. Um, and, but it's, it's very interesting that you are also going beyond just the idea of recreation and that you, you want to take this lifestyle you live and also turn that into a career. And, um, so I guess, first of all, uh, I mean, do you, do you kind of credit your grandfather largely with that as well? I mean, is there something you saw in his career that, that kind of inspired you and, and how would you, how would you describe that? Oh, absolutely. My, my grandpa gets like all the credit for everything I'm doing. Absolutely. My biggest inspiration. And uh, he's helped me through everything. I just got my first solo publication. He helped me a lot with that. So yeah, he, he deserves all the credit he can get. Yeah, that, that's, that's great. And so, you know, just looking, you know, knowing a lot of the projects that, that he's been working on over the years, I know one thing that he has uh, started to involve you in, and that'll, you know, probably help guide you further as you go on into college here and, and, you know, maybe eventually into grad school and, and other places, but uh, is the research component. And, you know, obviously, uh, as I mentioned, the Savannah River Lab, the herpetology portion of that, I mean, really was a mecca. I mean, it was an incredible body of work put out by Witt and, you know, his students and colleagues. And, uh, you know, I know he involved you to some degree in, in some of that. Uh, so how much how much exposure did you get um, growing up to, to like the, the, not just the go out and find the turtle or the snake side of it, but go out and, and, you know, go out and help on these research projects, get exposed to some of those concepts. Is that something you, you experienced? Yeah. I never got out to the Savannah River site until a couple of weeks ago, you had to be 18 to get out there. So I never was able to go out there growing up. But every year, once or twice a year, we would go down to an island in uh, the low country in South Carolina. And same for terrapins. It's the world's longest terrapin study. It's been going on since 1983. Uh, and it's still going on today under a different person from uh, Sewanee College now. Where we go, we drag this big net through the water, catch the terrapins, and then we, we notch into the scoots a certain uh, number code. Each scoot correlates to a letter. Then we release the turtle, get, we get all the, the data we need from them. The next year, we go back, see if we can catch them again. 
And it's just a big population study. And I've been doing that since I was little. My grandpa always let us let the grandkids help mark the turtles and help out in the marsh. So, yeah, I was going to say that I'm assuming that work physically just working in the marsh like that must be incredibly uh, demanding, very muddy, too. But um, how old did you have to be before you could physically go in the marsh and start running those seine nets? I mean, he, he put us in the boat when we were really little. But I was probably, I don't know, 10 or so when I started getting in the marsh and helping out. Uh, okay, that's great. And you, so you still go out on that project every year to help out? Yeah, we try to do it twice a year. Uh, COVID kind of messed that up a little bit. We still got out there once last year. And then we got out once a couple months ago. And then we'll try again later in the fall. Okay. And so are you... Are you kind of gaining research experience in other areas as well? Uh, meaning, uh, you know, so you said you're currently working with the Amphibian Reptile Conservancy and the Francis Marion. Uh, are you doing some type of like standardized inventory work or, or research for them? Uh, for, well, the main thing I'm doing is just herping. <laughs> and whenever I <laughs> Thing. I record coordinates um, depending on if it's a target species, I'll record a lot more information. But if it's something else, I just record the coordinates so we can find out what compartment it's in. And then uh, I'll send that to Ben Morrison and he uh, puts it in a big data sheet. Gotcha. Excellent. So uh, I haven't seen Ben in a long time. Where is Ben living in Charleston or is he? Um, he's a little bit north. He's in uh, Berkeley, I think. He's uh, a big help with getting out in the field. He helps me a lot with finding stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. He's a good guy. I've known him for a number of years. You know, he used to work down on little St. Simon's and Island here in Georgia. And and I spent some, some time uh, out there with him. So, well, that's great. So you're, you know, you're, you just finished high school, but you've had this, this kind of incredible upbringing. And then you're, you're already getting these experiences that are going to lead really well uh, into a career. So uh, do you have a particular university in mind? You said you're in a gap year now. What, what are your, what are your thoughts for next year? I'm not sure exactly. I think I may t- uh, go to community college for two years, get the core classes out of the way. And then, uh, and then transfer to a university. And I'm not sure which one yet. There's several ones, like University of Georgia is obvious, obviously a great one. Arizona State University is one that I was looking at that uh, definitely struck my eye. When we were out in Arizona, I talked to several grad students from there. So that's another school I, I was looking at a lot. Gotcha. Okay, well, continuing with this theme that, that we've been talking about, this, this family legacy, uh, you know, kind of... Uh, you know, building a herpetologist. And, you know, the other thing that the Savannah River Lab and your grandfather uh, were really uh, particularly influential with was education outreach. It was always a huge component. You know, they, they always kept a live animal collection and did a lot of outreach in the community, teaching people about snakes and their, and their value and, and uh, things, things of that nature. So, I've noticed just looking around at, at some of the information that, that you post or, or some of the information I've seen on the internet that, uh, that you also uh, do a fair amount of this. So, so when, do, when did you kind of start doing education outreach around reptiles and amphibians? The start of COVID, when, when, when I realized that people aren't going to be able to like go into school and learn, like kids especially, 
I started a Facebook page called Parker Teaches Science. Once a week, I would go live and I would bring a couple of live animals and I would just on Facebook Live and speak about animals for like 20 minutes and then uh, just teach people about different things. I, I, I did different topics. So I would one day I'd talk about turtles, one day I'd talk about snakes, stuff like that. And was it fairly well received? Did you have a, a lot of people kind yeah, of up, quarantined and learning about science? I, I would get like 30, 40 views on each one. So, yeah, well, that's great. Good, good to hear that. I also read that that you do kind of other forms of outreach that that maybe facilitate education, and that you'll do uh, translocations at times. You know, you move animals out of harm's way. Uh, Tell us, tell us a little bit about that. It started like in my neighborhood. My dad, uh, he would post on the Facebook group. He told everyone if they have a snake in their yard to call us and we'll go get it. And my neighborhood has a ton of scarlet snakes. So that's like the most common one we, we get out of people's yards and in their houses sometimes too. And so it just started from that. And then people started giving my number out to other people. And then for some reason on Daniel Island, this one island like, 15 minutes from me, I get calls like two or three times a week to come get snakes there. And I, one person got my number there and they shared it to like so many people. Um, and it's always either a copperhead or a racer there. There, there's a lot of them on that Island. So, oh, okay. So you, you'll come and translocate venomous animals as well. Yeah. I, you, I mean, hands off, of course, use my hook and a bucket and do it as safe as you can. And then I'll, I'll, I'll look on Google Maps, find some habitat not too far away, and then take the animals there. Yeah. Yeah, we do the exact same thing. We, you know, we're not taking them too far, um, you know, basically, you know, telling the landowners like, hey, we're going to move this animal a couple hundred yards, potentially a few hundred yards. It may come back, but it, it may not. Because if you move them too far, obviously, they, uh, you know, they just don't do well with that. So, um, speaking of venomous snakes, uh, I remember hearing that you ended up receiving a snake bite and I wanted to kind of preface this cause I want to hear about that. Um, cause you know, people like yourself and, and me, we end up handling venomous snakes probably more than, than most people, or at least being around them more than most people, which increases our probability. But I do want to stress, and we've had multiple podcasts about this you know, over the last couple of years that, that, uh, you know, getting a venomous snake bite is an incredibly, uh, rare thing. And, and there's some very simple ways to, you know, lower the probability of, of the happening. But having said that, I would love, uh, to hear a, a little bit about the snake bite that you had and, and, uh, you know, and, and how it happened. Yeah. So my buddy, Matthew and I were, uh, hiking at this trail and we saw a cottonmouth on the bank of this tiny pond. It was maybe 15 feet across. It's not a big pond. And so as most herpers would, we got our cameras out and started taking pictures of it. The snake quickly went out into the water and then it was a really, really pretty cottonmouth. So I was waiting for it to come back up so I could get more photos of it. So we were just sitting on the bank waiting and after like 20 minutes, we got up to leave and my friend saw a banded water snake on the other side of the pond. So me not thinking, I jumped in the water to walk across and grab the snake and I missed the grab on the water snake. It jumped in the water. I turn around, plant my foot and something bites me. I 
immediately say to my friend, okay, I either just got bit by that water snake or I just got bit by a cottonmouth. So I jump up on the bank. I call my dad. We're still about a half mile into the woods. And so I called my dad and he came all the way to pick us up. Uh, We walked to the entrance and after about three minutes of walking, I got a searing pain in my ankle and I I knew it was the cotton mouth. So uh, I used my friend as a crutch and we kind of limped to the entrance. And luckily we were only about 10 minutes from the hospital. So we went straight to the hospital and I uh, got my treatment there. I got uh, four vials of antivenin. And I had to be in the hospital for three days and then on crutches for five after that. Okay. So I'm sorry, how many vials did you say you got of antivenom? Four vials. Oh, okay. And, uh, and so did you have any lasting damage or, or anything with the, with the bite? Uh, not too much. The only problem is when I go hiking a lot, it gets really sore. Like this morning when I was hiking on the beach, I had to sit down for about five minutes just because my ankle was getting really sore. So I'm thinking there may be some like very mild tissue damage that makes it easier to, to make that area sore. Gotcha. And, and when, so when you stepped on this, uh, cottonmouth, was it, was it in the water that you stepped on them underneath the water it, it was it was fully submerged, and it was actually the very first recorded cottonmouth bite underwater. Uh, venomous snake bite, actually, except uh, sea snakes. Only those are the only ones recorded for underwater uh, snake bites. We published it in Herpetological Review. It was my first uh, solo publication on uh, cottonmouths biting underwater. Oh, you have to you have to send me that. So, what were you wearing on your feet? Was it just sandals or barefoot or? Well, I was barefoot. It wasn't the smartest decision. I just took off my shoes and jumped in the water, wasn't thinking, and I paid the price. So Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. So what did the was there like a pain, like physical pain? I mean you you, you mentioned kind of a searing uh but I mean was it a very painful event or was it something that didn't really hurt that much? Oh, it, it hurt a lot. It felt like someone was stabbing me with a hot knife and it, and it pulsed too. It like it would come and then go and then just hit me like a train and then ease back and then come again. Oh, okay. <laughs> so how did your, uh, how did your, uh, parents and, and your grandfather respond? My grandpa got in touch with a snake bite expert who he knew. I can't remember exactly who it was. We stayed in contact with him and he kept giving us advice on what to do. And it ended up being helpful because the hospital kept contradicting what they were doing. Like they were, were telling me to put ice on it. And then the next shift would come in. They're like, no, you, you can't put ice on that. They would give me uh, Motrin and then tell me, oh, you're not allowed to have Motrin. So then we, we got in contact with him and he told us what to do and got everything right. That's one of the big issues with snake bite, as you know, is that first of all, it just doesn't get treated that often. It's not something that happens frequently enough where most doctors just don't, don't know how to treat it well. So, um, and then for my, for my parents, my dad, he was on his way to the store, like about to leave the house and I called him and then he came straight to the park we were at and he called my mom and said, don't freak out, come to the hospital. Parker got bit. And, uh, and then my mom just like magically appeared there in like five minutes, even though it was like, it was like a 20 minute drive. So, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's funny. Wander North Georgia is a locally owned outdoor store in the heart of North Georgia. And as a family run small business, conservation is one of the four values that guide and shape what we do around here. 
We are proud to support the work of Dr. Jenkins and his entire team at the Orient Society, who are doing the good work of protecting ecosystems and habitats for some of our favorite wildlife. To learn more about our small business and how we're able to support groups like the Orient Society, please visit wondernorthgeorgia.com slash 1%. So I just kind of want to circle back a little bit. And, you know, we've talked about we've we've talked about your upbringing and we've talked about you know kind of the the concept of what got you into field herping some of the early experiences you had with research um and education and we we've also kind of drawn this this like central thread through it all and that is the influence of your grandfather on uh you know where you've come to as of today and then where you're going to go in herpetology. Cause you certainly have a, a lot more time uh, ahead of you in this career than, than behind you. So uh, just take a minute and just kind of almost like in summary, like, like what does all that mean to you having, uh, you know, your, your grandfather and that central thread and uh, you know, how do you, how do you think about that? Um, it's really special to have such a big inspiration and a, a big connection in herpetology like this. A connection like that is very, very helpful. And so I'm, I'm very uh, thankful for that. I love being able to go herping. And then if I find something cool, the first thing I do, I call my grandpa and I tell him what I find. It's great to have a, a grandpa like that. And he's like one of my closest friends. So, Oh, that's great. I, I love to hear that. Well, Parker, one thing I really like to have all of my guests do is uh, maybe in your case, imagine that we're sitting out on a sea turtle beach at the end of a long patrol, um, been looking for turtles and, you know, we're sitting around and and we're telling stories and I want to hear one of your best snake stories. Huh, okay, that's a hard one. There's there's so many to pick from. I think it's fitting for me to to, to do my only Orian Society uh, story. So in I think it was 2017, me and my grandpa and dad went down to uh, South Georgia to look for indigos with Dirk and Houston Chandler. And we spent the morning hiking the, the sand hills. We didn't really find much. And we come across this big gopher tortoise burrow. And Dirk goes, there's a snake in there. And so I look closely and you can see there's a big track going in it. There's some snake shed on the side. So Dirk goes back to his car and grabs the, uh, the burrow camera. And we get this camera and we scope it down in it to see the, uh, see the snake. And sure enough, the indigo was coiled up on top of a gopher tortoise. <laughs> so that was really cool to see. Um, and that same day, uh, it was right before that we, the only snake we found was a corn snake and it was under a piece of bark that I peeled. And then the, this next year, or I guess it was 2019, we went down with Ben Staganga, um, doing the same thing, looking for indigos. And we actually got one, but before we got the one in hand, we found a, uh, a corn snake. And my, my grandpa said, if you want to find a corn snake, Parker will find you a corn snake. If you want to find an indigo snake, Parker will find you a corn snake. <laughs> um, but yeah, we, we ended up getting a, a small uh, male indigo that day. And that was pretty cool. It was the first one I ever got in hand. Uh, and it was just a gorgeous snake. So, Yeah, they are. They're magical animals. And, you know, just a 
can be a once in a lifetime for, for many people. So I'm glad you got to have that experience and, and we got to be part of it. So uh, if people would like to follow you maybe on social media and see, uh, you know, some of the animals you're finding, uh, what, what's the best way for them to, to follow you? Uh, on Instagram, my, uh, my handle is, uh, Parker Gibbons Herpetology. Um, and then I run a Facebook page called Parker teaches science where I post, little videos about different animals. Most of it's while I'm out in the field. Um, I'll have someone film if we find something cool and I'll just talk about that animal and then let it go. So. Great. Well, thank you uh, so much, Parker, for being here. I really, really enjoyed it. Thank you, Chris. It's been fun. Now we're going to talk to Dr. Whit Gibbons as he recalls how Parker's interest in snakes developed. It seemed innate from the beginning. Uh, he was so small when he first picked up a bullfrog. And just, I have a picture I use in the talk sometime with Parker when he was, I'm not even sure he could talk, holding <laughs> a big, big bullfrog. And uh, he, he just seemed delighted. And of course he got, just better and better at finding things. That's what's always amazed me. I, I've, he's made me kind of lazy out in the field because I don't even look very hard anymore if he's <laughs> with me. Because he's finding more stuff than I do all the time. Oh, that's great. So he so he was doing it right from when he was a little kid. Yes, yes. And uh, completely unafraid. In fact, we need to, you know, to make sure that he understood he couldn't just pick up everything he saw because but he wanted to he was curious he could find things uh and um it, it just it was amazing how natural it came to him and apparently still does <laughs> yeah no it's great there's maybe something in in your guys's uh, dna there um so how you know did you help that along? I mean, obviously, this is a lifelong passion and love that you turned into an incredible career. Um, and so I'm assuming he had lots of opportunity, uh, you know, through being your grandson, just to be exposed to these types of things. So once you started to see this in him, how did you help kind of facilitate that or help well, that grow? I, uh, the same thing I would do with any student uh, is... Um, try to introduce him to people like yourself and um, the uh, and take him to meetings, take him, of course, going to as many field sites and different opportunities like that. Like he, we got to find his first Gila monster this past summer. And um, it was awesome. Um, and didn't we? Yeah. It was also your first Gila monster. <laughs> that's right well we both got we neither of us can take credit because my son his dad is the one who found it and after we had both walked past it yeah. so let's we <laughs> you just so, sounds like you guys just need to go again so <laughs> it does yeah anyway but um so yeah i'm just uh trying to try to offer and he's finding his own opportunities now so um um I certainly want to encourage that and support that any way I can. Yeah. And so it sounds like one of the real ways he got into this and one of the things that he's still very much into what is something that you and I and a number of people have always done, but it, it kind of has become, 
you know, be, got its own name in recent years. And, and this is the idea of field herping, maybe analogous to, to birding. Basically, people going out and recreationally You're looking right. for yes. reptiles and amphibians. And so um, did, uh, did you end up spending a lot of time with Parker as he was growing up on doing just that field herping, taking them out. Maybe it wasn't on a research project, but just taking them out and looking for interesting animals. I would say probably by the time he was five or six, we would, I don't think we, uh, we went out every week, at least sometimes several days during a week. We got some property that we um, set him up to do a survey on. And we actually, that's what we did, reptile and amphibian. And then it expanded to, his interest in plants, birds, fish. Uh, so um, uh, I think it, um, and and there were there were others. Some of his cousins went along too, but he's he's the one that really this seemed like career opportunities almost yeah. to learn learn as much as he could. And I mean, I I, I brought a lot of other people have visited that you know, experts that uh, know a lot more than I do about some of those topics. And um, he's, he's um, worked with them and yeah, I, I just, Oh, I think, I think um, field notes. I, I bet I know we've gone out hundreds of times in on field trips. Yeah, that's great. And one of the things that's really interesting to me, um, you know, so for example, my son, um, he, you know, he's been out over the years with me looking for reptiles, looking for amphibians, you know, he's very comfortable. He He's interested and enjoys them, but at least right now, he's not kind of heading on a career trajectory towards that. So I think I've given him a good appreciation. But the interesting part is that Parker's taken all this experience with his grandfather and field herping and the, the work on the property you're talking about. And he's, he's kind of transitioning it towards a career in this in this general field and we talked a little bit about that earlier um but i'm just curious when did you when did you kind of see that you know that when did you recognize oh my grandson this is not just something a hobby that he wants to go do but this is this is something that that he may want to kind of follow in my footsteps and and be some type of scientist you know working with these animals probably early high school it became apparent that you know, people, we, we, you and I, Chris, and have known many people that they will go along, they're interested, but they drift away to other interests in life. And he never seemed that he wanted to keep doing this. And then it became like it's kind of hardwired now. I think he's, this is, this is, he's, he's good at it. He knows it, knows the animals. Um, um, and plants too, uh, and um, so he and he and he does the you know the background studying. I think and that's why I think it's very important that he interact with what he's doing now with lots of other people. Find out just how people how people have developed their careers, which have been many different ways. And yeah, uh, but we know many happy people because they're of their interests in reptiles and amphibians or just natural history. Yeah. Thank you for listening to Snake Talk. 
If you like what you've heard on this podcast, you can help us by subscribing and leaving us a five-star rating. Also, if you have any comments or suggestions, be sure to leave us a review. Yeah. Well, that's great. So obviously you've given him opportunity. I know you guys are down, for example, um, doing some long-term research on uh, Diamondback Terrapins together as we speak. So you've given him those types of opportunities, but that's a very interesting perspective. The, the concept that, you know, if, if he just, if you're the only person in this field that he interacts with um, relative to developing his career that, you know, while there's a lot of value there, there, there might be some, some negative as well. So, uh, I think that's great that you've, you've really thought about helping him develop his network as one of the, yeah. one of the important tools to developing his career. So, uh, that, well, that's great. And the, I guess the last thing I want to ask you about Parker and, and his interests and how they've developed are relates to something that I was always very impressed with, uh, with the Savannah River Ecology Lab and, and the career uh, that you led there is it wasn't, uh, you know, so you had the obviously, I mean, this was a world center uh, of herpetological research and science, but there was always this really strong education and outreach component. There was a live animal collection and, you know, all of the various people associated with the lab, at least that I knew, uh, were very involved at different levels with education outreach. And so uh, one of the things I've noticed about Parker and one of the things we discussed is he has uh, a strong interest in that as well, communicating uh, around these animals that we all care about. And so I'm just curious, uh, is that something that that you saw in him also kind of at an early age? And is that I did. I did. In fact, I was just recalling uh, when he was in, um, let's see, his cousin was in the um, third grade and Parker would have been in the seventh grade or so. And uh, he wanted to go with me to give a talk. And then he began, he wanted, he could give the talks. I mean, even in, when he was in the, just in junior high, he uh, could, um, or middle school, I guess they call it. uh, He could, um, he enjoyed giving talks, and I know he gave recently. He gave his own talk with his own animals that he had kept for the purpose uh, to a to a group in um, Charleston area, just himself. But um, yeah, I, he he went with me on several this presentation. He seemed to enjoy it as much as I did, which I always like doing, just talking to people about. Yeah. That's, that's great. Well, I, I'm going to finish up here, but as we do that, I want to ask you kind of one last question with, uh, and, and it, it just, it, it's kind of more, uh, just general in a sense, but you know, so you're, you know, you've, you've now retired, you're continuing to work, but you know, you're probably looking back on your life, both career wise and personally. And, and, uh, so as you look at how these things have developed over the years, uh, particularly relative to your grandson, I'm just curious, you know, how does this all make you feel? The the fact that there's almost like a, a, a legacy here and that you're, you know, you've, you've managed somehow, some way with everything you've done, you've managed to pass on, uh, you know, what's one of the biggest things in your life to, to someone in your family. So how, how does that make you feel this legacy? Oh, it, I think it, it's wonderful. And I think I see Parker 
already beginning to make a difference in educating um, people. He enjoys it, and uh, you got to enjoy it to really make a real difference, I think, and uh, uh, we both know that. Uh, and it, you, you do it. You do it because you enjoy it, and because you enjoy it, you're enthusiastic. You make other people enthusiastic. And I think um, I think you can as long as you can change attitudes, just gradually. Don't get frustrated. Just keep working at it. But it, yeah, it makes me feel good that there's one more person that's out here, out there, um, making a difference. And I think it does make a difference when we. And in fact, what you're doing right now is making a difference. You're communicating to with your uh, podcast to other people. It's it's changing up, changing attitudes. And I think it's good. So yeah, great. makes me feel great. <laughs> and uh, and Parker, I'm going to direct a very similar question to you. Thinking about this legacy and you know what your your grandfather has done before you and and you know, some of the opportunities that you had before you and you've got everything ahead of you. I mean, what would you like to say to your grandfather for everything he's done for your career? Um, thank you. As <laughs> <laughs> uh, simple as that. Uh, everything that he has done has helped me and uh, it's a great inspiration and great mentor. And, and yes, everything that he's done has been very great. Okay, great. Well, that is a great story. Uh, the legacy component, uh, you know, I've had uh, Whit and I've known each other, uh, you know, loosely over the years, never worked too closely together, but, uh, you know, I have a lot of respect for everything uh, that, that, that you've done, Wit, and I just think the future's bright for Parker, and uh, it's going to be great to see what he does going forward. So uh, thank you both for joining me today. You bet. Thank you. Thank Chris. you, Chris. And I uh, just wanted to thank the audience and tell everybody to remember, snakes are animals too. And it's a privilege to see one in the wild. Mm-hmm.